0: Welcome back, everybody. at CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus to Canton. Follow them on the Twitter at Campus, the number two, Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend at CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And the man, the myth, the legend that makes it all happen here, one of uh, my best friends, text me immediately when the Diamondbacks are going to the World Series, Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I chE I gotta get a little promo for you we gotta cut like a wrestling promo for you Xavier I can't say okay. the man the myth the legend, and Xavier so let's uh we, we gotta we gotta get a nice introduction for you here too so um yeah I am obviously the best there, having is, a, the best there was the best there ever best will, there will be. be Brett the Hitman heart and Xavier Trish T-R-I-C-H-E. So, <laughs> uh, that's right um but yeah I mean I am obviously on Cloud nine my baseball team is going to the World Series having a great time um Xavier text me immediately but we are here to talk about week nine of the college football season before we jump in Nick how did week eight treat you how were the numbers and what uh did you like and what surprised you uh week eight was about as good as it gets I think I mean the the
1: games uh all day on Saturday were incredible I mean we had a uh you know some high profile matchups some great games that came down to the wire some upset scares um, some actual you know big time upsets uh, North Carolina lost as a 23 and a half point favorite something like that um, and then from a number standpoint it really was as good as I could ask for in, in a given week I, I mentioned it in the Campus to Canton discord uh, that you know I would take this week every week we had you know over 60 percent in the uh, against the spread numbers, which, you know, isn't our, our best week of the year. It's not our best week of all time, anything like that. But, uh, all three models had really, really solid results. Uh, the over-unders were, uh, in that same range of success. The, uh, wrong team favored. We ended up with a positive record and, you know, almost, it was like 1.7 units up or something like that. Um, and then the, all three agree on a favorite, even though we miss bad on North Carolina and USC. Uh, the, those numbers ended up in the in the positive as well. So pretty much, you know, if we had a goal board here that that I was you know going through and and we were putting our little CFP winning edge logo on if we hit every goal uh, that week. Uh, what was that week eight? Would have would have gotten that little helmet logo on, on every single goal.
0: So, nice. I uh, would love to, would love to be able to, to do that again uh, this week. Uh, Xavier, what did you see from week eight that piqued your interest?
2: Firstly, I'll never bet against Michigan again this year. That's the second week in a row that I've been insanely wrong on them not covering. Uh, <laughs> they are, and i said this a week ago, they are playing like the best basketball, te- uh, best basketball, te- best, football team, best football team in the country. Uh,
0: NBA opening night. Yeah, 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 far and away, I
2: think they are um, at this point. Uh, The other piece, I think it was just a really good week of football. Um, You know, I thought we had a a, a lot of games that were in the balance, at least going into the second half, going into the fourth quarter. Um, Also, just like the catch rule, I think we had a new ruling of what a fair catch looks like. Shout out to the Iowa-Minnesota game, um, where last time I checked, your arms have to go above your head. To be considered a fair catch, and that just wasn't that.
0: Um, so. I was furious. I was supposed to have my best week, uh, of the I had six and four this week on my article. I could have been seven and three, which would have been my best week, but that call blew it for me because I had Iowa minus the points. So
1: we were on the wrong side of that one, too. That was uh, that was an all three uh favorite that, uh, that all three got it won. right.
0: All three that got it right. That was actually we,
1: wrong. Uh, <laughs> we
2: were on Iowa. Yeah, uh, Utah owned USC um at this point. Yeah. Alabama owned Tennessee um at this juncture.
0: That was that game was crazy. That, that was a little shaky early. That the was 20, well, it was like every single thing that could bounce Tennessee's way in the first half went. Tennessee's way like they had that fingertip catch uh like another fingertip grab on the sideline a fumble that went their way uh a couple calls that went their way I was like good lord this is the Tennessee juju game here they have all the juju and then the second half complete opposite uh Bama with all the big plays in the second half I mean I think eight plays over 10 yards it was crazy
2: yeah I I've I've but Bama's done that a couple of times this year where they've figured out what teams are doing to them like they don't know coming into games, and then they're like, oh, yeah, we can throw the football. Uh, like we talked about uh, the week of, Jalen Milrow is finding his footing as a passer, and that's a very, very scary thing for him to be finding his footing at right now um, with Bama still very much in contention um, and obviously very – I think still in first place in the SEC West at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Week, uh, week eight was – I mean, oh, God, watch him on Longhorns, uh, they were flat. What happened? Was,
2: yeah. i had that game on for like the first half first quarter i was like okay texas has this in hand and i got a text from a friend who was like hey um houston texas tune in And i was like <laughs> basketball season he was like no 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 it's a game i was like all right i'll go tune in i'm like what the hell is going on with texas here like they just
0: look flat uh, all the way around both sides of the ball right. they just came out uninspired didn't play well and, you know, Houston is a team that they're not they're not an upper echelon team, but they're a team that if you come out flat, they'll take it to you. And they did. So that game was real close. So uh, Oklahoma also unbelievably flat against UCF. So, uh, yeah, there were a couple teams like especially teams coming off a of bye week where I was like, what are y'all doing? Did Y'all drink the whole week that <laughs> you were the whole two weeks you were off because, uh, I mean, they just look bad. And I also thought. Ohio State Penn State to me had a weird feel, uh, because it was Ooh. so early in, in yes. the day. Like, why was that game not under the lights with like a big ramp up to it? And both you games know, like a lot of that
2: slept walked the entire game.
0: They were yeah. just and then speaking of teams that just were, were
2: drinking all week, I guess Washington was just on the stuff. Ooh. Because my God. And, and you know, <laughs> Arizona State's had, I think this is the third game against a ranked opponent at the time of playing them. The Arizona State has had a legitimate chance of winning. They lost to USC in overtime. They lose that really weird one to Colorado where they gave up like a 40-yard bomb with like six seconds left, right? And now this one where you look at the game and you go, hey, you probably should have won. <laughs> or you probably at least yeah. you You had a chance there if you don't give up, you know, 12 points in the fourth quarter. I, everyone well, no,
1: and I, no uh no offensive touchdowns for that offense right <laughs> you know that that was pretty incredible yeah a I, I thought that has uh been going through my head because you you guys know that i can't stop but to you know think ahead to next mm-hmm. year um uh, you know I, i'm thinking about what teams whether they're uh, you know, first year head coaches who will be going into their second year. Will they get a you know second year bump type thing um, or just what teams that aren't very good right now that I feel pretty positive or are, are going to uh, get better next year. And I think Arizona State's definitely uh, on that list. The, the way that they played, you know, defensively, um, uh, Brian Ward's the defensive coordinator there, they hired away from Washington State has, has been excellent. And, you know, the, the offensive track record of Kenny Dillingham is uh, as, as good as you could hope for. I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic that they'll take a step forward on that side of the ball next year. So anyway, we've got, we'll we'll be able to talk in depth on that. I'm sure in, in uh, January, but (laughs) uh, that, that's definitely something that, that I was thinking as they were giving Washington all they could handle.
0: Yeah. No one gave them uh, pretty much any credit coming in. So, uh, yeah, thought they were going to be a real bad team this year. And they're playing okay. I wouldn't say that they're playing good football, but they're playing better than people expected. But let's go to week nine. And we start out with one that we maybe wouldn't normally start out with, but it is Georgia State on the road at Georgia Southern. Uh, This one is obviously for Xavier. The line is Georgia Southern by a point and a half. The total is 62 and a half. So, Nick, who's going to win this Georgia battle, state or southern? Well,
1: first of all, I have to say, I, I don't think this is just for Xavier because uh, first place in the Sun Belt East is on the line because James Madison can't uh, go to the uh, championship game and and it is a big rivalry game. It's Thursday. It's going to get a national uh, audience. But um, yeah, there's definitely uh, maybe, maybe, you know, we, we might overlook it uh, most weeks. But yeah. Um, this, I, I think, is going to be a, a really, really fun matchup. Not only is it, you know, these two fan bases have, have really started to develop a, a dislike for one another. Um, you know, there's one, I don't know all the the intricacies. Xavier can, can fill us in, but uh, I, I believe there's one fan base who, you know, claims it's not really a rivalry. There's one fan base who's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely a rivalry. Um, but really, the you know it's two good teams, and both should be in bowl games this year. Georgia State's already uh, bowl eligible; already hit their season uh, win total. Over, um, uh, you know, we're, we're a bit of a surprise. Off to a, a really, really excellent start. Darren Granger and uh, Davis Bryn are, are the quarterbacks in these two games. Granger, of course, for Georgia State. Uh Brin is uh the transfer from Tulsa now at Georgia Southern. And you know, both have some weapons to to work with the Georgia Southern wide receiver core. Um, you know, Caleb Hood, Derwin Burgess, pretty solid one-two combo. Jalen White at running back had a huge week last week, has been very good in his career there. And um, you know, Georgia Southern is is playing like a top 40 offense. Their rushing numbers, uh, as far as our team performance numbers are a little bit better, surprisingly, than their passing numbers, but they are a high volume passing attack, have uh, you know, some ties to uh that. Western Kentucky Texas Tech coaching staff and, and have really moved in that direction the last couple of years defensively you know Georgia Southern is not great they rank 90th in defensive team performance but that's a pretty significant jump from where they were last year when they were 125th uh but Georgia state is you know a, a top 30 type offense right now they rank 14th in um, our uh, passing team performance numbers on the offensive side of the ball they're 47th rushing. And, you know, if you just look at the raw numbers, you would think they were uh, even better than that because Marcus Carroll ranks among the leaders in uh, rushing yardage uh, nationally. Um, Darren Granger can run it a little bit, but also, you know, has some solid wide receivers to work with. Guys like Robert Lewis, Jakari Carter were expected to be the top two guys going into the season. But Talik Williams has really come on strong in recent weeks. So um, these are two quality offenses. Uh, should have an opportunity to, you know, make this a high-scoring game. I would expect, uh, but uh, you know, Georgia Southern, or excuse me, Georgia State, uh, which ranks 52nd in defensive team performance, um, you know, is is another tier or two ahead of where Georgia Southern is on that side of the ball. Uh, Georgia State has also. Improved defensively, they were 81st last year, 52nd this year. Um, but I think that is the side of the ball that that probably is going to decide this one because the offenses are are, are pretty even. Uh, Georgia State, you know, a little bit better passing maybe than we would have expected, but can really run it. Uh, Georgia Southern, you know, a little bit better running than we could expect it, but really can uh, attack, you know, downfield through the air as well. Um, but overall, you know, pretty even matchup. That these are two uh, very evenly matched teams. Our projection uh, is within half a point. Uh, we do have Georgia Southern favored, so this is a wrong team favored scenario. Uh, they are going on the road. That is a tough place to play, Paulson Stadium in Statesboro. Um, but our projection, at least our, our team streak numbers. Um, have Georgia State pulling this one out. Prism, our, our stats-only model, also has the Panthers favored. Um, the Talent Edge model has uh, Georgia Southern favored and and by uh, a little less than two points, but a little bit more than the one and a half. So um, this isn't an all-three-agree situation. But, um, yeah, our numbers think that, that Georgia State's going to be able to to go in and, and
0: uh, pick up a big rivalry win on the road on a Thursday night. Uh, what do you think? Can you guys get it done like that, Xavier?
2: Absolutely. Um, Georgia is 3-1 or 4-1 in Statesboro um, in the last, I think it's the last eight years. Uh, this is not a place that Georgia State has struggled in um, as far as winning is concerned. Obviously, the games are typically pretty close. It's just, you know, it's a rivalry. That's typically what happens. Um, but realistically, when, when I look at both teams, like Nick alluded to, I look at two teams who are very evenly matched as as what's typical between these two teams really actually, when, when you really, you know, dive into the numbers in the history of this game. The difference is, is going to be Darren Granger, I believe. And it's his ability in a lot of these games to give you three or four, you know, in, in really good games for him, four to five explosives. Um, and that's really, I think what changes and what's changed Georgia State this year. Uh, Georgia State, We talked about it last year. Excellent running team. That's never been an issue. Right. Georgia State was top 10 in running last year or top 10 in rushing for the majority of last season. Um, You know, tapered off there towards the end, but never been a problem with running the football. The difference is, is this year, Darren Granger is doing two things really well. He's taking care of the ball um, at a clip he hasn't done in his career. And he's really hitting the explosives when he needs to. Um, and when he, when he's in rhythm and when he's allowed to hit those explosives, the Robert Lewis and company, you're looking at a guy who then you're, you're talking about an offense. That's really hard to stop. Um, I even believe last week in particular, you saw a team that struggled, you know, even in the second half of that game, but I really felt like they missed a ton of opportunities that were right there for them. Uh, you know, and to the Georgia State defense's credit, this might be the best Georgia State defense we've I've had, in they've had in my lifetime. They've only been inception for I think 13 years at this point. Um, so I think you know, you know, and last week last week proved that to go on the road, be in Louisiana, your offense puts up absolutely nothing in the second half, and you hold on to that game. I think that proved a lot for this team going forward um, of what this team can do and, and is capable of. I seen them going down there and handling business. And to all Georgia Southern fans who are still upset about the fact thank you. <laughs> still upset about the fact that Georgia State got immediate entry into Division One, which is what the what the issue is, Scott. Uh or Nick, excuse me. Yeah, they 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 don't like the fact that Georgia Southern had to quote unquote earn it by winning at the D2 level, and Georgia State got the automatic bid into the D one level. That's the whole crux of this situation. Um, it's a rivalry. There's no other way to define it but a rivalry. Um, And last time I checked, you don't go into – you don't talk that much crap on Twitter if it's not a rivalry. Um, So it's a rivalry. You guys just suck at dominating a rivalry from a a, a university who swears up and down that they're a better football university. But since you've been at the D1 level, we've pretty much got similar situations going on.
0: You're right, Nick. Totally not about uh, Xavier at all. So that's, uh, <laughs> let's go on uh, to the next game here. Oklahoma on the road against Kansas. The line is Oklahoma by 10, 66 and a half is the total here. Nick, I mean, Oklahoma looked flat against UCF. I picked them, of course. The one time I picked Oklahoma in my article, they let me down. Not surprised there, but they look so great against Texas. They had a bye week, they're playing at home. And they came out and just did not look right. Maybe going on the road brings these guys together, but I kind of like the over in this game because Jason Bean has been pretty good. The only game that they scored, uh, I believe, lower than 31 points was against Texas. And that was the weird game where Jalen Daniels was supposed to be the starter the whole week. And then, day of his back thing crept up and Bean had to uh, replace him. So, I kind of think that both these teams are going to be able to score because Oklahoma can't because Kansas' defense is miserable. And Kansas seems like they can score on anybody at this point, even with the, the backup quarterback here. So how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, this, this game, the timing of it is interesting. You
1: mentioned – Oklahoma last week and, and, uh, really pretty fortunate to, to be able to, uh, win that game against UCF in regulation that, that one, uh, could have certainly gone to overtime and, and then, you know, it's a coin flip obviously at, at that point, but, um, Kansas has had an extra week to prepare uh, doesn't sound like that is, you know, as you alluded to, uh, going to be what it takes to get Jalen Daniels back and healthy and and able to play. But, uh, I completely agree. Jason Bean has been, has been solid and, and he is always capable of, of, uh, you know, that one play a game where you kind of have to, you have to, uh, cover your eyes or, or grab your, your head and, and, uh, kind of scream, what are you doing? But, uh, he can also make, some big plays as well, just incredibly athletic. Um, uh, you know, I was, I was hoping coming into the year that, uh, with a healthy Jalen Daniels, they'd be able to get both of them on the field at the same time a little bit more. We've seen it, you know, a play here or there the last couple of years, but, um, regardless, having been back and, and able to, uh, run that offense uh, with Jalen Daniels as limited as he's been this season, um, has been huge for Kansas and, Uh, this is of course a home game, big game, uh, sounds like there's still uh, a few tickets away from it being a sellout, which is a little bit of a a surprise, but should be a great environment. And, you know, quite honestly, I think it's a winnable game for Kansas. Um, our projections are, are very much in line with, uh, what the odds makers have, uh, our team strength model has Oklahoma favored by, um, 10 point, 1, one points, so you know, right there at the ten. Uh, the prism model has Oklahoma covering by you know a point and a half, uh, but the talent edge model has has it closer to a touchdown. So no clear indication one way or the other on this one. Uh, and Oklahoma has been uh, a, a really really good team as well. I mean, last last week they really really uh, dodged a, a real upset bid. Um, And our power rankings, I think, are are actually a little low on Oklahoma. They're 11th in our power rankings. I've seen them um, as high as, you know, number two at at points this season, I believe, uh, in some other numbers. But um, this Oklahoma team has been uh, just a very, very solid team. Of course, the big win over Texas, undefeated record, you know, their top 10 in team performance. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has an opportunity with Michael Penix struggling last week uh to really make a jump in in the Heisen race, you know, moving down the stretch. I mean, he's still fourth or fifth, something like that, but but in uh striking distance there. So um, you know, big win this week, a strong performance for him would would certainly help. Uh, we talked a little bit about improving defenses in the Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Uh, matchup. This Oklahoma defense has taken a real step forward. They were 68th in defensive team performance last year overall. They are 14th right now. Um, and, you know, they're getting a little bit closer to the type of team that we expected when Brent Venables took this this job over. So um, uh, Oklahoma's is just, just a, a solid team. They've dealt with some injuries at running back on the offensive line, wide receiver, you know, the offense as a whole, has, uh, has has had its issues, yet they're still playing in a top 25 level, still have a Heisman Trophy uh, caliber quarterback or contending quarterback, um, have a wide receiver in Nick Anderson that all he does is catch touchdowns. Um, and, you know, they're just – they're a solid team. They are capable of winning out. They are double-digit favorites in every game uh, that's left on the schedule, according to our numbers. You would expect that will lead to a rematch with Texas – for the big 12 championship they take care of business um they have an opportunity to to make it to the playoff and and you know could this team contend for a national championship if everything falls right this this year seems like uh things are a little more wide open than they've been before so i think that's certainly a, a possibility but gotta get you know gotta take care of business first and and this is a tricky game especially if oklahoma uh comes out and and you know Let's Kansas hang around as a a team that's not as talented, not as deep. Um, Though Kansas does, I mean, you know, Devin Neal, one of the better running backs in the country. Uh, They've got all conference players that, you know, tied in the offensive line, a couple in the secondary. Um, But this Oklahoma offense, there's a significant edge in the way that they're playing compared to the Kansas defense. And as good as the Kansas offense has been number three in offensive team performance, number four, passing number eight, rushing. Um, and that's a, a strength versus strength going up against that top 15 Oklahoma defense. So this is a game that Oklahoma should win, should take care of business, should win by, you know, double digits or, or two touchdowns. Um, but it's also a game that that is uh difficult enough and is situated kind of in the schedule, uh in, in a little bit of a sneaky spot that
0: um Kansas is going to be a really, really tough team to beat on Saturday as well. Uh, Xavier, what's your thoughts here? Do you think Oklahoma can cover this? Uh, Is uh, they look flat? Is Kansas going to come out and surprise people? What uh, what are your thoughts here?
2: Um, No, I I think Nick alluded to it really well, that Oklahoma, just like we talked about with Texas in this game, has to kind of get on Kansas early. Um, This is not a game that you want to allow Kansas to stick around in because you understand that this is a team that has at least an offense that can go blow for blow with you. But if you're able to – get on them early, and I hate saying this about a school that I really like to see progressing, but you kind of get them – you, you kind of buried a team early that's not in the same level of you talent-wise. Similarly to the way that Texas buried them in the, in, in the second half slash fourth quarter, Kansas had no answer. They just could not keep up with that level of talent on both sides of the football. And if you're Oklahoma, you have to go in there doing the same thing. Maybe not wait as long as Texas did, even though the one – touchdown that kept Kansas and it was freak accident, um, in some ways, but I, I think Oklahoma has to do a better job of getting on teams early. Some of the things that they, they, they hadn't, they, we, we've seen them do in the past, right. They struggle to get on teams early. Now, all of a sudden, Hey, it's a seven point ball game with the third quarter, you know, to, to, to go. So I think realistically, that's one thing. The other piece too, is I need to see more ball control from them. Um, I understand Dylan Gabriel is an extremely talented player. We all know this. But he's not, you know, even Patrick Mahomes needs balance offensively. And that's the biggest issue right now is that there is no balance sometimes for that roster in times where I believe that they need to slow the game down. I felt like last week UCF had found a rhythm on offense and Oklahoma needed one of those 13 or 14 play drives to kind of just keep them on the field or keep them off the field. And Oklahoma was like, well, we'll go score in six. And I'm like, yeah, but... UCF is still also scoring in but yeah. So Oklahoma's gotta get on them early. On the Kansas side, you've gotta capitalize on your explosives because that's the only way you're gonna stay in this ball game. It's gonna be explosives, it's gonna be explosives. Like that's your be- that's your best bet of if you're gonna stay in this ballgame and win this game, is if you can hit on the explosive plays, making Oklahoma either one play from behind or two match you in explosives. Uh so give me Oklahoma to win this ball game. But if Kansas hits on their explosives early, it's going to be a shootout and then it's going to be really fun because I think genuinely at that point, then yeah, you might find yourself in a situation where, uh, you know, Kansas is up by a touchdown with a quarter to go or Oklahoma's genuinely in a battle. Um, It's always fun to see if Oklahoma can actually win some of those battles because in their history, they have folded at times.
0: All right, let's go over to the, I guess we're we're not supposed to call it the cocktail party anymore, but uh, Florida versus Georgia in jacksonville the line here is georgia by 14 and a half 48 and a half is the total here uh nick you know we know georgia is missing their best offensive weapon brock bowers is out but they have had two weeks to prepare for this florida team uh the last couple years it's been well over this 14 and a half uh difference in georgia's favor um florida has been up and down this year look Really good some weeks, tough some other weeks. How do you see this one uh, going? Is Graham is Graham Mertz enough to take Florida uh, and make them play a competitive game? Not even win, just beat the spread and be a competitive game.
1: Uh, so I do think it can be competitive, um, and you know our our projection is I think you know you mentioned that that uh, this game hasn't been particularly close at times. And, and, you know, last year, Georgia won 42 to 20. But our, our projections always see these two teams uh, fairly. I mean, not, not super close. I mean, we're, you know, two touchdowns, but uh, a little come in a little under the, the 14 and a half. So um, just two teams that, that are as talented as Georgia and, and Florida are. Um, just as you know, we've talked plenty of times about how our numbers are built. The very first ingredient are those uh, recruiting ratings coming out of high school. and and you know, Georgia, of course, is among the elite of the elite. Uh, but Florida grades out pretty well in, in those. and and so uh, as good as Georgia has been over the last few years, they've taken a little bit of a step back on the field this season. Um, you know they're they're sixth in offensive team performance. They're eighth in defensive team performance. Uh, last year, of course, they were you know number one. They've been back to back number one uh, in defensive team performance. Uh, they've been top four on offense the last couple of years, and and of course they've been you know a, a dominant national championship team. Um, but this this Georgia team is is a little bit different. I mean the the roster strength numbers uh, because they lost so much talent in back-to-back years those numbers have slipped a little bit they're still third on the defensive side of the ball but they are 12th overall and 12th on offense um and you mentioned it the the you know injury to Brock Bowers is significant he has been the top uh playmaker most you know dependable productive uh member of of uh, that offense um as far as you know playmaking ability Carson Beck has been You know, very solid, uh, quite good in a lot of ways uh, at quarterback. But Georgia's been, you know, really banged up at at running back. Uh, They've had injuries to, you know, their top receiver. Lad McConkie has been uh, severely limited so far this year. They've had injuries on the offensive line. Xavier Truss and uh, Amarius Mims have uh, really been hurt. Both are, you know, Mims has missed multiple games. Uh, sounds like he's trending in the right direction, but might not be ready yet. Truss um, uh, was hurt the last time out for Georgia. Sounds like he is practicing, but is questionable. So, you know, those are, are two of uh, their more experienced, better offensive linemen. And, you know, there there have been fewer injuries on defense. The Georgia team coming into the season, uh, there were some injuries in fall camp. Things have, have been getting better on that side of the ball, but, um, you know, this, this Georgia offense, as well as they have been playing so far this season, um, they're, they're not at a hundred percent and they are a step back. I think from, uh, the Georgia offenses that, that we've seen the last couple of years now will Florida be able to take advantage of that? I'm not sure defensively. Uh, Florida ranks 60th in defensive team performance. Uh, that is an improvement. They were 99th last year. So they are also trending in, in uh, the right direction defensively. But, um, you know, you mentioned, is is Graham Mertz going to be enough? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if Florida is really going to have a shot to win this game, if it's going to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter, if I were to, to you know, visualize how that happens, it's probably because Graham Mertz hasn't had to do too much. It's it right, would have right. been. You don't uh, want them leaning on him. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, uh, really solid one-two combo at running back. Florida has also had its, its share of injuries, uh, especially on the offensive line and uh, receiver and tight end. Um, but those two guys have, have been solid. And ETN was a little banged up a couple of weeks ago, but sounds like he's back and, and good to go. Montreal Johnson has been uh, you know pretty dependable. Ricky Pearsall, really solid uh, receiver, has been productive. Um, we've seen some good things out of uh, Eugene Wilson. We've seen some good things out of tight end Arles Bordingham in, in recent weeks. Um, but, yeah, if, if Florida's going to have an opportunity in this game, It's probably because they've been able to, you know, things that aren't aren't sexy, but uh, when time of possession uh, kind of slow things down a little bit, keep the ball away from Georgia a little bit, establish the running game. This is all. I mean, you know, sound like
0: I'm eighty years old, but uh, hey, time (laughs) of possession is the sexiest stat you can have. (laughs) <laughs> if you're holding the ball and keeping it away from the other team, that's sexy. I don't care.
1: But, but you know, extending drives. Um, you know, Xavier was mentioning explosive plays in one of the earlier games. Uh, Florida, I don't think, I mean, yeah, if you can get a, a cheap score on a busted coverage or, or something like that, they will absolutely take that. But um, what I think is is their real path to, uh, you know, have an opportunity to pull it upset, it's going to be, you know, kind of that, that old school, uh, almost you think of the the military Academy 12, 14, 15 play drives that end up in a touchdown uh, Florida could use one or two of those. I, I think um, shorten the game and, and, you know, just try to get it to the fourth quarter uh, with a one score game and, and an opportunity to win. Um, and, and, you know, then see what happens. But uh, I will say that, that Graham Mertz has been, I think, a little better than expected. Some of the raw numbers. I think good. he's
0: been so much better than expected. What does yeah. he have? One interception this year? Yeah,
1: he's, he's done a pretty good job, uh, you know, taking care of the football. And it was against certainly.
0: Utah, I think, in the first game. Like he has been very, very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, watching,
1: it doesn't, certainly not eye popping, uh, two picks. Right. Now. Um but had one against Kentucky a couple of weeks ago, but you know, last two weeks, six touchdowns and, and zero interceptions uh, through for 423 yards last week against South Carolina. It's easy to forget sometimes, Uh, but you know, he's had two games uh, against their weakest opponents, but two games with 11 yards per pass attempt. Um, So yeah, he's, he's had some, uh, some very solid games. The, the box score numbers look good, but, but, um is he the type of quarterback that's able to you know take over a game and knock off uh the number one team in the country according to the pollsters um I, I'm not so sure so uh it, it I think has the opportunity to be the toughest test that Georgia has had this season um i I have a hunch that Georgia is going to lose. Uh, some at some point in the regular season, I think each of the next four games they play are losable uh Florida Missouri Ole Miss, and, and Tennessee um and Florida is is I think talented enough to to find a way to win you know they're not going to be completely outclassed uh on you know the lines of scrimmage or at the skill positions um they're not as deep and, and the high end numbers. Uh, aren't quite there, uh, compared to Georgia, but this is, this is certainly one of those games, I think where, um, you know, rivalry game and, and a tough team, uh, talented team like Florida who has shown some improvement. Yeah. They, they could find a way to get it done, but, um, our projections are, are, you know, close to, the odds makers, as I mentioned, our team strength model has Georgia favored by fourteen point two. Basically, our prism model, stats only model, um, that doesn't care anything about how you know well Florida has recruited or not, uh, has Georgia winning by about seventeen and a half. So uh, that's the most you know black and white doesn't care about any uh, any outside factors. Um, that one you know probably seems. A little closer to to the reality, uh, but the talent edge numbers, as I mentioned, are, are in single digits. So our numbers don't necessarily see an edge one way or the other. My gut tells me uh, that you know Florida is is going to be able to keep this one close for a half, maybe a third quarter. Um, it's just whether or not Georgia is going to be able to pull away in that fourth quarter or not.
0: Xavier, do you you see Florida having a shot at this game, or is this uh, Georgia run over?
2: Georgia, I I really feel like this has got to be where Carson Beck turns the corner. Um, Like Nick alluded to, we've got four games in a row that are against all opponents that have the propensity to beat us. Uh, What is it, Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, and I'm forgetting one. I know that for sure. Uh, But I I really – there you go. Uh, well, I said propensity to beat us. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I really do think that if we're going to, and I, I say we, I say Georgia because I'm a Georgia fan, um, it's going to be on the back of whether or not Carson Beck can turn that corner that we saw him do in the Kentucky game. Um, you know, In the Kentucky game in particular, 389, four touchdowns, one interception, 28 of 35. Easily his best game of the year. Not even close. Um, but no, I, I really do think that Carson Beck has the ability to turn the corner, and he's going to have to. No, no Brock Bowers for at least the next four or five weeks. He's going to have to make the throws. But this is why you went out and got yourself a Ra Ra Thomas. This is why you got yourself a Dominic Lovett, because you understood you had a receiving core that not only was losing talent in, in Adenai Mitchell, but was also a, du- a dearth of talent as far as your young guys were concerned, right? We all love uh, Rosemi Jack Saint, and we all love uh, Lad McConkey, but that was that was kind of it. <laughs> and so, this is one of those games where those transfers that you went out there and got make their mark. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for the Ra Ra Thomas 150 yard game. I'm waiting for the Dominic Lovett 70 t- 70 yards two TD game. Um, and this is where it happens. This is where all of those reps that you were able to do against a schedule that at the beginning of the year looked rather cupcakey. Now it's time to put those reps to to, to you know all together. Um, the other piece to this is I, I need Kendall Milton if Georgia's going to win this game to be the big dominant back he can be. Uh, Kendall he's Milton,
0: questionable, isn't
2: he? Yeah, but he's always questionable. Sounds like he yeah right. <laughs> Sounds
0: <laughs> like he's going
1: to play uh, okay. and has been practicing well. But yeah, he's he's he is on the injury report just about everyone.
2: Right. And when he and when he when he's healthy, he comes in, has like four good round runs and then is out again. So I, I need him to be the big bruising back that he is because the one thing that this Florida defense does does not have is high level depth. They have their their front, their, their first 11, really solid, really a good bunch, well coached, but they don't have a lot of depth. A lot of freshmen on that on that second line for their D-line, a lot of freshman corners as well. So if you're able to get it to a point where now you're contending with, you know, true freshman D linemen, true freshman linebackers, because you're able to kind of punish them when you need to and lean on them as the game continues, that's where you get some of your busted coverages. That's where you get a lot of your big plays, especially in the run game in particular. But this Florida team is young on the offense, on the defensive side at least, uh, and that's where you're gonna have. That's where they're gonna have to pick on them a little bit. This is where I expect to see double moves. I expect to see a lot of different uh, decisions there from. Uh, from our, from Bobo from Mike Bobo excuse me uh, you know from the offensive staff that is going to look at the fact that yes they're a Florida defense but they're extremely young and I think that that's where they'll struggle on the Florida side they got to make this game ugly to do what Auburn did you know several turnovers make Georgia lose a turnover battle uh, keep the ball for for a lot you know time of possession like Nick alluded to uh, just a, you know a game ago time of possession making sure that merch when he is throwing he's not throwing for four or five yard clips. He's throwing for 12 to 15 yards because ultimately that's how they'll win this game. Uh, they'll make it ugly. Mer- Merch will hit his big plays. Um, you know, Pierce will win his one-on-ones and there you go. Because the only game that Georgia has looked beatable in is in a game where Auburn ran the football, made it ugly and won the turnover battle. So if you're going to be, if you're going to win the game as a Florida team, it's got to do with that.
0: All right, let's go over to the next game up which is Utah hosting Oregon here. Oregon is a seven-point road favorite. 48 and a half is the total here. Uh, Nick, this is pure offense versus pure defense when Oregon has the ball. Uh, on the other side of the ball, it is Oregon who has been tough but also given up some yards, a little inconsistent, versus an offense that has also been inconsistent. So strength versus strength. Uh, weakness versus weakness in this game usually makes for a tight one so seven points on the road in Utah seems like a lot but I don't know I think Oregon kind of lays a smack down here in Utah so uh what what are your thoughts yeah I, I could probably
1: repeat everything I said last week about uh Utah and USC and and you know how I thought uh you know certainly how our numbers show that um, there's a significant talent disparity between these two teams, double digits in our talent edge numbers uh, in Oregon's favor. Um, You know, we were on Oregon to to cover a big number against Washington state. They were, uh, they were covering late in the fourth quarter, but um, the the Cougs uh, had a, had a backdoor, touchdown that that erased it. But um, Utah is a team that, you know, the way that we calculate things, we obviously don't give them enough respect, especially at home. Um, and our numbers love Oregon. So it's very possible that we're overinflating things a little bit like we did last week with USC and Utah and with Oregon and Washington State. Um, but our numbers are all over Oregon on the road to go in and win in a very very tough environment uh, by double digits, close to two touchdowns. Our, our team strength projection is uh, twelve and a quarter for Oregon. Uh, the talent edge number, as I mentioned, is is double digits, and the stats only model has Oregon as a nine point favorite on the road. So that's that's the model that uh, would give Utah the most respect because you know the talent numbers, especially with the way that that Utah has dealt with injuries this year the quarterback position running back position tight end uh, defense they just lost one of their uh, top linebackers for the season uh, due to injury so it just seems like it it gets worse each week Um, yet utah still finds a way to win games Uh, you know they're undefeated at home, um, they are still very much in uh, the driver's seat to make it back to the Big 12 championship game, Pac-12 championship game. Next year, they'll be in the Big 12. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, I fear that once again, <laughs> we are uh, underrating Utah here. Um, but, you know, I, I despite the fact that that it didn't work out for us, last week on both ends uh, i kind of have to trust the numbers as well i mean bo Nicks, uh if you look at the quarterback position bo versus versus bryson barnes huge edge in oregon's favor if you look at the running uh backs bucky irving is has been excellent this year utah has has really found uh ways to move the football with a rotating cast of characters quinn johnson i'm a big fan of but Um, you know, he's been, been banged up this year, but they're without Michael Bernard. They're without Chris Curry. They've actually moved a safety over Sione Vaki, who's been incredible. I mean, uh, last week had a huge game, uh, receiving, but, um, has just been, uh, you know, such a playmaker. Um, but still, even with Vaki and even with Jackson back and healthy, you know, I have to, to say that. Oregon would have the edge of that position with Irving and and Jordan James has been excellent as a backup. You know the playmaking ability that they've got at receiver and Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson. uh, You know tight end Terrence Ferguson had a big week last week. Utah's down to its you know fourth and fifth tight ends. So um, every every offensive position, it just seems like Oregon has a, a huge huge edge. They're still you know top two in team performance across the board on the offensive side of the ball and. You you know, Oregon's a pretty solid defense as well. They're 29th in defensive team performance. They're 19th against the pass, 45th against the run. And this Utah offense uh, took a step in the right direction last week against USC's, you know, very bad defense. Um, But they're still 92nd in offensive team performance, 95th passing, 79th rushing. So um, this is one that, you know, Utah's moving into that. Iowa category a little bit or, or, you know, army and air force where the talent numbers aren't very good. uh, The offense, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, look very good on paper or or even some of the the performance numbers, but yet they're a team that is incredibly well coached. They're tough. They're hard to beat, uh, especially at home. So um, our numbers are all over Oregon. This is an all three agree uh, and a favorite as a road favorite, um but my level of confidence uh, as you could probably tell isn't isn't particularly high in this
0: one because Utah's just found a way to get it done over and over again xavier what do you think about this matchup between um <clears throat> sorry i am completely lost here we go I, I i didn't see you i was like is he here is he not here well where am i going uh so here we go let me just make a marker at 48 okay So what are your thoughts on Oregon versus Utah here? I mean, you know, Utah, that home field advantage is very, very tough. But Oregon is a very strong team. Nick kind of seems a little waffly, but he likes the numbers. Oregon, I'm a little more. I just feel like Oregon is going to overwhelm this Utah team. And Utah's not going to be able to catch up after a couple points to score on them. So how do you see this one going?
2: Yeah, I feel like last week what we saw more than anything was maybe a, an element of surprise um, in some respects for Utah. Um, going with a quarterback that I don't think anybody had really seen outside of their offices, definitely I think caught U- USC off uh, off guard. Um, his ability to run I know for sure did, you know, that last drive in particular. They just weren't giving him any credit <laughs> as a runner whatsoever. Uh, so I thought that was, that, that was definitely maybe playing a part there. Um, on top of that, I just think that, Oregon just is a little bit too balanced on both sides of the football. You know, I think people look at that Washington game and go, well, Oregon's defense maybe isn't as good as we think it is, or maybe Washington's offense is just that good um, or was just that good on the day. Um, on the flip side of that, you're looking at a, a, at a Utah team that has got had to get really tricky in a lot of their games to win these matchups. Like, like, this is, this is a, this is a team that won a game with a pick six and a touchdown. Like, you know, it hasn't, Hasn't necessarily been something where you go, yeah, they've just been excellent all year. Like, you know, so I, I think realistically, Utah is going to have to get tricky again to win that game. Um, and to do so is, is not necessarily too difficult for a guy in, in Whittingham who's been able to figure it out. And I know that, you know, he's not going to get like coach of the year. I know he's not going to get coach of the year votes, um, but he maybe should. I, I'm, I'm, I, I he's, it got to be at the top of the list for me right now to have your team where they are right now, you know, with the situations you've been faced with. Um, So I've got Oregon in this game because I think they're a team that also is just balanced enough to slow the game down. That's the one thing with USC I always find a problem with is that they are really bad at slowing the game down when they don't have it going. Um, it's Caleb Williams or bust for that roster, and it's the complete opposite when you look at Oregon. Um, if Bo Nix doesn't have it going, Dan Landing is real quick to be like, you know what? Let's give it to Bucky Irving. Let's put together a nine to twelve uh, play drive where he has to convert one or two third downs, and we're just gonna hit you in the mouth for this drive, and then we'll get back to Bo Nix and Troy Franklin and company, you know, on the next drive. Where and so that's where I think for Utah, they just have to prepare for a little bit too much. And like you said, if Oregon gets up by two scores. Utah just doesn't have the horses to come back. Um, they kept it very close against USC, no matter you know you know no matter what, um, and they got the the necessary turnovers when, when they needed them. And obviously they got they got a final drive from the kid um, when obviously they needed it most. But give me Oregon in this game. I think once again that this is a team in Oregon that's still fighting for what's right in front of them. Same thing goes for Utah, but I just think Oregon just has a little bit too much uh, for Utah to contend with.
0: All right, let's go over to the next game up here. We are going to Duke at Louisville. The line here is Louisville minus four and a half, 46 and a half is the total here. Nick, uh, another one. I don't like the side. I don't know what Riley Leonard is going to look like. He was terrible uh, last week and it took FSU until like middle of the third quarter to figure out stack the box. He can't move or throw. And then they really started dominating Duke. So, they have a very good defense, though. Jack Plummer has been a little pick happy. I like the under in this game. How do you uh, see this mm. one playing out?
1: Well, so our projection is on the over, uh, but the where where those numbers come from are uh, our our Prism model, which is the stats only model, doesn't take into account uh, Riley Leonard's injury, um, and you know honestly, right now our team strength model doesn't doesn't take uh, Leonard's injury into account either because um, he played last week. And and even though he had to come out and, um, you know, wasn't able to go back in, didn't look like he was hundred percent with another week to potentially rest. uh, You know, I feel like if he was healthy enough to play last week, they probably will give it uh, a go this week. So, um, you know, it's, it's possible that, uh, usually one of the the things that I think our team strength model does um, that a lot of people aren't able to is, is we can account for those injuries, you know, especially when a guy's missing, we see a big, a big adjustment there, but Riley Leonard's a little bit of a, a special case because, you know, it's difficult to count him out. It's difficult to downgrade him that much. Although you brought up a great point that, yeah, he just wasn't very good last week. So even if he is able to play, is he going to be the Riley Leonard, you know that our individual player ratings say he's a you know ninety four almost ninety five rated player, one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. So um, I I don't know I don't know what uh, we're going to see out of Leonard, and and he absolutely is the most important piece of that Duke. Uh, not just offense, but but team in general. So, um, you know, Duke has been pretty good running the football. Uh, Jordan Waters has been solid. was Moore has been pretty good. Good one-two combo out of those two. Um, the passing game has not been as productive, even when Leonard was fully healthy, uh, as you know I think we expected or hoped. Uh, but Jalen Calhoun and Jordan Moore, very solid uh, one-two combo at receiver. Duke has one of the best offensive linemen in the country, and Graham Barton, who missed a little time earlier this year with injury, but he is back. Uh, and then defensively, they're they're very, very solid, uh, especially against the pass where they're number nine in passing team performance. Uh, Dwayne Carter is you know, one of the better interior defensive linemen in the country. Um, that secondary, they were very creative bringing in some guys from the transfer portal who've uh, you know been big so far this year um and mike elko just is a little bit of a uh you know miracle worker type i mean this this duke program uh was headed in the complete wrong direction and really looked like they were trending towards becoming one of the worst power five programs in the country and and he has turned them right around and they are legitimately you know a top 25 caliber uh, team on the field. So, um, all of that, you know, he's, he's built up that, that program, this team has built up so much respect, not just, you know, me watching, but, uh, in the way that, that our numbers calculated, I mean, they've been productive, so they've added points to those individual player ratings, you know, the team performance numbers, they're playing like a top 25 team. So they continue to rise. Um, and then Louisville is, 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 you know, not too dissimilar, you know, the 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 roster strength numbers are very much in the same ballpark right around, you know, top 25, top 30 for both teams. The team performance numbers are very much in the same uh, ballpark where Louisville is is a little ahead. They're 17th in overall team performance. Uh, They are, you know, 32nd on offense, 16th on defense. Louisville has dealt with some injuries as well. Jawar Jordan was significantly limited last time out. Uh he is one of the most explosive running backs in the country. So, you know, without him that really does force uh, you know a little more pressure on Jack Plummer, Jamari Thrash uh that you know rebuilt uh offensive skill set uh passing game specifically. Um that that Jeff Ramos has, has uh put together there at Louisville that that's been quite good. I mean, they're 26th and passing team performance on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but defensively, you know, I did not expect that this Louisville defense would be carrying this team to its six and one start, but uh, they're playing like a top 20 unit 16th and overall defensive team performance 22nd against the run. So it's another one of those strength versus strength situations, but you know, we have seen this Louisville team already, and this was a little bit of a concern coming into the season. It was a little bit of a concern in what was, you know, a very, very manageable first five games, uh, thinking that this was a, a team that perhaps was capable of just laying an egg one week, falling up, you know, just not showing up. Um, It looked like maybe they were able to get, away with that and, and get through that without it being an issue, especially after the big win against Notre Dame. And then, you know, it happened immediately, kind of a hangover effect or, or whatever it was, but that trip to Pitt where they just, they lost a game that, that, you know, they really probably shouldn't have. So how will they respond? It's been, I'm sure a long off week preparing for this Duke game. Uh, Duke is coming off, of course, uh, a a big loss, of their own where looked good early, got some fortunate bounces, but Florida state was just, you know, the better deeper and certainly healthier team uh, toward the end of that game. And, and we able to pull away how healthy is Duke, not just with Riley Leonard, but you know, sometimes when you play a top 10 team like Florida state, you get beat up a little bit more even than, than as a parent. So um, our, our projection numbers, this game where we struggle a little bit, uh, to, to account for some of those factors, as we mentioned, um, but kind of similar to last week, a lot of the things we said about Duke in that Florida state game was we just couldn't quite, you know, the way our numbers are calculated, we couldn't quite get Louisville to, you know, enough to be able to cover. So the team strength projection, we have Louisville favored, but by less than two and a half. Uh, the prism models has it as a virtual coin flip and the talent edge model is right at that odds makers four and a half, but, um, just a little, you know, shaded toward, toward the Duke side. So all three of the projection models do line up on Duke this week. Um, but you know, on the road and with a major question mark for health wise of Riley Leonard, you know, certainly my level of confidence isn't, isn't super high, but you know, would I be shocked if Duke finds a way to win this game because they're incredibly well coached, have a great defense and are able to run the football uh no you know that that certainly i think is in the realm of possibility regardless of of uh, riley leonard's situation but um i i think i would be a little more comfortable being on the louisville side of this given all the question marks that duke has
0: xavier like nick said a lot of question marks for duke um uh, louisville Jawar jordan also banged up not a hundred percent uh right tackle out for the year like I said, that's kind of why I like the under. I don't know about picking a side here. What do you think in this game?
2: I feel like Duke has just been able to do it when they weren't expected to. Every time we're like, yeah, well, you know, they got injury. Like, like, Nick, we all agreed last week, Brian Leonard wasn't playing. And he played. And he played, you know, and he did what he was supposed to do for the three quarters he was in. And obviously he gets hurt on a, you know, on a, a crazy play. um And it just doesn't work out. But I, I think this Duke team continues to show us ways to win. Similarly to Utah. Like both of those teams have both done amazing jobs with winning this year and competing this year without having the requisite talent, the requisite health, none of it. Like it does, it has not mattered whatsoever. Um, they are getting the job done. So I, mean, I, they I lost
0: the Florida State.
2: Yeah, but, but, but you know, but. I, I mean, look. I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. I think Florida State got a gift. Um, I'll be. I'll just keep. I'll just be hundred percent honest with you. Not only do they get a kickoff return for a touchdown, which at that point in the game was that uh, was devastating
0: yeah. because Duke had like just scored. Yes. And it just was like, mean, oh, great, we got a little momentum here, and then yes. all the way back to Florida State. Yeah.
2: Right. Kept them in the game, and then I think, like I said, I think Riley Leonard doesn't get hurt on that drive. They score a touchdown. They go up by ten, and Jordan Travis has played like relative. It had, was extremely pedestrian at that point in the game, like extremely.
0: I'll give it, you Florida State being pedestrian, but I mean, Riley Leonard had like 38 passing yards. In yeah, the but he was not
2: was a, But it it didn't matter. He he was being in the game for him was more of they had to respect it more so. Than yeah, him. they did because on that on that play that he gets injured, there's a man wide open. I'm pretty sure he's throwing it that way, and then his helmet gets ripped off. He gets his ankle turned, and obviously we know the rest. But when I look at this game, I also look at a Louisville team that we've expected in games where I've expected them to kind of dominate like I did uh, last week, kind of floundered. I understand they have a really big win against against, um, Notre Dame earlier in the year, but they haven't really put together dominant wins on dominant wins. Like they haven't stacked them together. And anytime they've played even a competent team next to them. They've kind of played down. They beat Georgia Tech by five. They beat Indiana only by seven. They beat NC State by three. Like that's the competent aspect of their schedule. Obviously, they kicked the you know they kick the can out of Murray State and Boston College. But in the in the, you know in the games where I've expected them as a team that has been ranked this year, um, a team that is still ranked this year, ha- should have dominated. They haven't put together their performances, which lets me think that Duke has a chance in this game to at least stick around and see what ends up happening. I would not bet on this game at all because of that being the case. Uh, I'm going to lean on NC State. I'm sorry, not on NC State. I'm going to lean on Louisville just because of the the health that they have. But I would not be surprised if Duke somehow comes away with a win. Uh, Or we're talking about next week that Louisville lost the game because they just didn't handle their business, which has been, like I said, a a theme of theirs this year. They've been able to get away with it up until this point. But you're talking about a very, very well-coached Duke team that doesn't typically beat itself. Are you going to be able to get away with it against that kind of a team, uh, like you have been against some of your, some of the other teams on your schedule? I'm just not sure. But at this point, give me Louisville.
0: Yeah, Louisville is definitely a weird team uh, this year. Let's go over to Ohio State on the road at Wisconsin. The line here is 14 and a half. 43 and a half is the total here, Nick. Um, I don't. I don't think Wisconsin is anywhere near Ohio State's level this season. Um, I think Ohio State's going to go in and trounce them, but it is a tough road environment for Ohio Ohio State to go to. Kyle McCord, a little inexperienced. Uh, We saw them come out a little flat against Penn State. Penn State's a good team, but um, it took them a little bit to really rev up and get going. So how do you see this one uh, playing out, Ohio State at Wisconsin?
1: Yeah, I see it very similar to what our numbers say. Uh, this is, you know, the, the odds makers when we release it was 14 and a half. I, I don't think it has uh, really moved. Yeah, 14 and a half. Uh, Ohio State on the road uh, as a favorite. You know, that, that feels about right. Um, all of our projections are uh, close, not quite there, but they're all in the 13s. Uh, you know, 13 and a quarter in team strength, almost 14 in talent edge, uh, and then 13.16 in in the prism model. Um, that feels about right. It, it's a, a game where Ohio State has you know clear talent advantage, it's clearly the deeper team, the better team. Um, but as you said, you know, going on the road in the Big Ten, um, also, you know probably not really a a hangover effect, but um, that Ohio State-Penn State game was one of the biggest games of the year, highest profile games of the year in college football. And so you win that game, uh, you know, some teams have a tendency to uh, sort of exhale and, ooh, all right, we got through that. And it, sometimes can be a little bit difficult to regroup and immediately go on the road and, and face a Wisconsin team that, um, you know, has, has not been, uh, maybe as good as expected. I, I, you know, our numbers, I think had a Wisconsin, um, certainly it's a top 25 team and, and, uh, they were our big 10 West favorite coming into the season. They've slipped a little bit. I mean, they're still very much in the mix. Uh, five and two, two and one in the Big Ten. Um, but uh, you know, the, the offense has been a little bit disappointing, especially you know, as much attention as Phil Longo got, the new offensive coordinator there at Wisconsin. The passing attack in particular has been disappointing. They're 104th in offensive team performance, passing wise. Uh, they lost their starting quarterback, Tanner Mordecai. Uh, for the uh, foreseeable future. Brandon Locke got his first start last week, redshirt freshman uh, transfer. Um, the rushing attack has been good, and Braylon Allen has had to carry a, a pretty heavy workload with Ches being out for uh, the last several weeks and, and will be out for uh, the remainder of the season. But, yeah, this Wisconsin team has been far more one-dimensional than expected, and, and I think far more uh you know typical Wisconsin i thought we i certainly had uh the expectation that we were going to see something a little bit different this year and and they just haven't quite been able to make that biggest step especially in the passing game so uh will it happen you know it's going to be going to be kind of difficult to expect it uh with your backup quarterback and and you know the the receivers that they brought in uh, we you know Will Pauling has taken over that slot receiver position that's been so productive under Phil Longo guys like Josh Downs uh, played that spot and you know Pauling was a little bit banged up in the earlier uh, early weeks of the season he has come on a bit but um, you know that unit as a whole just you know they haven't quite gotten going yet and I'm not sure that Ohio State is is, uh, uh, the opponent where you can really expect to take that next step so even with Denzel Burke missing last week's game. I'm not 100% sure if he will be back this week. Uh, They had an injury to Jahad Carter on the opening kickoff. So, you know, that secondary for Ohio State could certainly be uh, less than 100%. They've been less than 100%, you know, at at some of their uh, top positions as well, with uh, Travion Henderson being in and out of the lineup, um, with uh, Emeka Buka being in and out of the lineup. Uh, I would expect both of those guys are, are, you know, maybe more toward probable uh, this week, but, you know, never, never quite know, but this Ohio state team is deep, is talented. Number one in roster strength overall, number two in offense, number one on defense. So even if they are banged up, they just, you know, are one of those programs where they can roll out uh, the next five or four star guy and, and, probably have a talent advantage at that position over a team like Wisconsin. So, um, this is, as I said before, a game that Ohio state is understandably favored by two touchdowns should be able to go in and get a win should probably be go able, able to go in and get a win somewhat convincingly by double digits or more. Uh, but there are enough, you know, on the road week after a big game, um, Wisconsin's still, you know, a, a pretty solid team and, and tough to beat, uh, to where I understand why our numbers couldn't quite get to 14 and a half. So I don't hate that we're on Wisconsin, uh, but I absolutely understand and and could expect or, or could, could see Ohio State, uh, kind of getting right back and, and making a statement in this game. Um, but you know, I, I, I could also, uh, See Wisconsin kind of similar to what we said about Florida, uh, running the ball, shortening the game, keep it close, giving themselves a a one score opportunity, uh, in the fourth quarter. And
0: and at least as far as our projections go, uh, I guess that's what we're hoping for. Xavier, how do you see Ohio State versus Wisconsin going? You know, nice classic Big Ten battle, but I think that neither one, you know, Ohio State would be. A perennial top five. Wisconsin should be like a perennial top 25. But they're both not there. Uh, I mean, Ohio State technically is ranked there, but I don't think this is one of the best teams that they've had, at least on the offensive side. It can be, but it's all on Kyle McCord. Is is this where he takes a step up on the road and really looks good? It's got to be. It's got to be. This is one of those games where
2: you are playing more so the name than you are the team right now. Like you alluded to, Wisconsin should be a perennial top 25 team. Typically, every year put, puts out a top, I would say, what, top 10 defense? Um, you know, if not top 15, you have yourself a team, at the very least, that on paper, you know, every year Wisconsin puts together X. We expect a little bit of differences this year, but like Nick alluded to, it's pretty much been the same old Wisconsin. This is a game that Ohio State has to dominate if what their goal is is to win a national championship game. Um because these are the games that if you're going to be a national champion, you dominate. Period. You've got a team in here who's a little bit wounded, um, as far as not necessarily living up to those first year expectations under Fickle. Uh, you know, you've got a team that hasn't put it all together consistently this year. You know, obviously they're still big, they're still first in the Big Ten West, uh, but they haven't been impressive in all of their wins. Um, obviously, you know, you look at their last three games: lost to Iowa, beat Rutgers by 11, and then beat Illinois last week by four. Not necessarily the most impressive wins for a team that, you know, if the season were to end right now, would be, you know, in the Big Ten championship game. So if you're Ohio State, this is one of those games that you put on your schedule, you say, we're going to dominate. We're going to dominate from the quarters one through four uh, to the point where Kyle McCord's not even playing in the fourth quarter. Like it has to be, you have to put together one of those performances in my head, similarly to what they were able to do in the second half against Maryland. Um, Just making sure, you know, and I'm sure Ryan Day is saying this, let's make sure that it's an all four quarter thing, not just, The second half, Um, but that's where I think Ohio State has to do these has to have these kind of wins because they're going to if they continue to try to play the way that they've been playing they're going to fall and lose one of these games like they're going to whether it's Michigan and they get shellacked or you know they they trip up before then it's really going to be on on the fact that Kyle McCord just wasn't able to put teams away that they are just by far better than period you know last week against Ohio State it needed you needed Kyle McCord to just be or excuse me, against Penn State, you need them to be just a little bit better for them to dominate that matchup. Instead, you felt like at any point up until really the last, what, the fourth quarter, you felt like Penn State had at least somewhat of a shot to, to if not get back in the game, win the game. So that's where, for me, I'm just looking at Ohio State going, okay, if you're going to be a true national ten, you know, natural contender, this is where you dominate. This is where you win the game. This is where you win the game by multiple scores. You leave no, you leave no stone unturned.
0: Last game up here, Tennessee at Kentucky. Three and a half, Tennessee as a road favorite here. 51 and a half is the total, Nick. This is another game where I don't know which team to pick, but I do like the under again. Both pretty good rushing defenses, rush first offenses as well. This is all about your boy, Joe Milton and (laughs) Devin Leary. Like We saw Bama beat Tennessee up in the second half with explosive plays. Kentucky doesn't get them. You know, they have they have some big runs. They have a great offensive line. A Ray Davis is dangerous, but a pretty stout run defense for Tennessee and a stout re- uh, run defense for Kentucky as well. So this one to me seems like an ugly SEC punt fest. Uh, but is there a team that you like or do you see this game maybe uh, scoring a little more points than I'm seeing?
1: well so uh have to have to think positively here and and look at the silver lining last week we did and against an Alabama team that you know wouldn't necessarily expect a breakout as I was talking about you know probably not expecting a, a Wisconsin breakout of the passing attack against Ohio State probably you know we didn't expect uh Tennessee to to break out but Joe Milton, squirrel white, pretty solid uh, performance last week against Alabama, uh, especially in the first half. But um, everything you said is, is correct. And, you know, this Tennessee team has been uh, a a much different version certainly than I expected where they're playing really good defense and running the football mostly uh, and pretty effectively. Um, Kentucky has always sort of been built like that. And, And so Um, I certainly agree that, you know, the, the most likely scenario, especially with this game being in Lexington, um, is that low scoring, uh, kind of grinded out type game. And, and maybe Tennessee, uh, you know, really did take a little bit of a step forward last week and they're going to be able to attack down the field, uh, more, you know, here down the stretch. If so, um, then, you know, this This seems like a, a spot where uh, Tennessee probably, you know, has an advantage because that Kentucky passing attack, uh, you know, they, they had uh, two years ago, um, and my mind just went blank on his name, but uh, the offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, went to the NFL, came back, um, and everybody thought that was going to fix the passing attack, especially with, uh Devin Leary coming in transferring uh, to be that starting quarterback. and they just haven't been very good. I mean they're they're fifty first in passing team performance, but it's been so inconsistent and and really just hasn't seemed uh, I don't know that that uh, to to my eye, <laughs> the the Kentucky passing attack um, uh, seems worse than that. I mean, you, you look at the last four weeks, their best performance just in terms of passing yards is uh, the 205 they had at Vandy uh, four weeks ago. They've been held to 128 yards or fewer through the air the last four weeks against Florida, Georgia, and Missouri, respectively. Um, and, you know, four picks over that time, uh, <laughs> yards per pass attempt uh three out of those four have been under five yards per attempt so you know this kentucky passing attack has just not not been good um especially uh in conference play so that doesn't bode very well but you mentioned ray davis he has been um one of the best transfer running backs in the country uh you know maybe one of the best uh running backs in the country. The offensive line has taken a, a pretty significant step forward in our O-line performance numbers. Last year they were among the very worst in the country. This year they're top 50, still of course room for improvement, but a solid uh step up and you know, I have to think that that even though Tennessee has uh been as good as they've been on the defensive side of the ball, 11th in overall team performance, 13th against the run, top uh, excuse me, top 10 Against the pass, I still think that Kentucky probably was going to going to want to run the football, and and I think they're going to be able to have some success doing it. Even though you know that that's more of a strength versus strength uh, spot there, that that I still think I have a little more faith in. Kentucky, even as one dimensional as as they've been, Um, you know, and I guess our numbers agree because we actually have Kentucky as a favorite, a slight favorite in this game. So uh, this is a a wrong team favored uh, situation. That's been pretty good for us this year. The talent edge is also on Kentucky side, which is a little bit of a surprise to me Uh, say this uh, most every week, but if it's your first time we do adjust those numbers for, Home field advantage, but the only other things uh, that go into there are, are, are uh, talent numbers, roster strength numbers, and we do give Kentucky about a five-point edge there, which is a, a pretty significant uh, gap compared to that official line. But the stats-only model is is on Tennessee to cover, has that projected at, at about a four-point spread. So um, this is one where you know the model certainly. Uh, give us uh, different perspectives, and, and they do not agree with one another, and that's kind of the point. Want to want to get different perspectives on on each matchup uh, and see how they differ. Um, but you know, throwing everything together and, and our team strength model, which you know, coming off a pretty solid week, uh, pretty good, you know, to date, feel feel fairly, fairly confident in it. Um, that projection has Kentucky as a you know, slight favorite to to pick up a win as an underdog at home. And and I certainly could see it happening. I mean, this Tennessee team is, you know, 21st in our overall power rankings. Um, they're still within striking distance. A lot would have to go right, uh, but they do get Georgia at home later uh, this year if they're, you know, lucky enough that Georgia loses a game prior to that uh, against Missouri or or, you know, this week against Florida. Then you know Tennessee's still alive. They have a lot to play for um, in the uh, division with the SEC championship as as a still possible goal, even though it's it's uh, pretty unlikely at this point. So um, this is absolutely a must-win game if if they are to realize any of that. And I do think that this Tennessee team is you know certainly capable of going into Lexington and winning. Um, but our numbers are are pretty high on kentucky this year relative to most and and you know see that that this is certainly a winnable game for the wildcats as well
0: xavier what do you think are you thinking maybe uh kentucky should be favored in this game i know you're not the biggest tennessee fan especially when they're not playing uh you know their best football which they haven't been recently so do you think kentucky at home under the lights can pull off this upset This all comes down to quarterback play. Which quarterback is going to step
2: up? Um, I know it's like, oh, yeah, that's every game. But no, 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 more so in this game than ever because both of these teams are such run-heavy ball clubs that we know coming into this game you're going to have to stop the run. Both of these teams know, and I wouldn't be surprised to see seven, eight in the box, you know, the majority of the night because you know what both of these teams want to do. They want to run the football. They want to, you know, impose their will um, on the offensive line. It's really about whether each quarterback can take advantage of that situation and hit his explosives, hit you know keep drives going on your third and fives, third and sixes, and stay out of more importantly, stay out of third and long because neither team is great in it. Neither team is is truly effective in third and long. Most teams are, but this team is like their fan base is even understand if it's third and long. Let's nice get the punt team going uh, because it's just the, the the likelihood that they'll get them is slim. But on the flip side of that, I'm needing to see Joe Milton because I do think Tennessee wins this ball game. I want him to just take what the defense is giving him. He is trying a little bit too hard in that Alabama game to put them away. And I was like, brother, you were up 20 to seven. If you don't just take the five yards on a on a second and seven instead of trying to take the 50 yards downfield, and if you don't just you know keep the clock you know keep the, the game ticking, then you're going to do really well. The problem is is some a lot of these times he likes to get in, you know, uh, Joe Milton bowl season, Joe Milton, which is, all right, let's, let's just start slinging the ball around and see what we can do. No, no, no. The one thing that Hendon Hooker did excellently for Tennessee last year while they were really humming is when it was time for him to take that five-yard scamper to keep the drive going, that's what he did. He didn't try too hard to make – you know, the over, you know, to make that play. That's not, that's not your game, brother. That's not your game. And that's not how Heupel designs his system. He's very much, yeah, he wants to hit the big plays. But a lot of the time, Heupel is second and seven, take four. First and, you know, you get a a jump off sides on a first and five, take three. Keep the offense in front of the sticks so that we're not in third and longs and we are not having to put together an offensive package that now features us having to get consistent third and longs. If he can do that, they're gonna win. Uh, they're gonna win this game. Same thing kind of goes for Leary. If he can just keep the offense ticking, they're gonna be really competitive in this matchup. Where I think the difference comes is the 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 speed aspect that Tennessee does possess. Squirrel White and company can absolutely ruin and wreck a defense on a screen pass, on a on on a twenty five yard bomb, or just allowing the kid to go get racked. Like that's just how good they are. Uh, or that's just kind of, you know, the speed that they possess on the outside. And that's the one thing that when you look at Kentucky, they don't really have. They just don't have it. It's just not It's just not there consistently. And so they really struggle a lot of the times to make that work. You saw in the Georgia game, they just did not respect it. They didn't. They sat at about tw- uh, 7 to 10, and they said, please beat us because we don't think you can. We don't think you have any ability to 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 really threaten our secondary, I think Tennessee is going to come with the same kind of uh, with the same kind of defensive um, play calling, and it's on Devin Leary to really dissect this Tennessee defense underneath. If he can do that, then they've got a chance. But that feels like a lot of ifs in the in the Kentucky phase. So I'm going to go with Tennessee here. I understand it's in Kentucky, and you know that's a rabid fan base. And can Joe Milton get it done? I hear all that, but I think Tennessee has just enough in the tank to win this game. Um, and if they don't, cool, because they don't have two losses. And I think we're then in, in really good shape if you're Georgia. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, give, give, give me Tennessee to to win this game. Three. Three. Oh, yeah, they'd have three losses. But they'd have – and it would be three in the SEC? Yeah,
0: because they lost Florida. Mm-hmm. They did. They did. That was uh, the game where uh, Etienne ran for that a uh, huge touchdowns, like 70 yards or whatever yeah. so yeah. um any other uh any other games this week nick that you look at and you're fairly confident in
1: well so uh as has been the case the last several weeks uh i've i'm paying very close attention to when our three projection models all line up on the same side of a favorite uh fau minus five and a half on the road at charlotte uh, this week is is uh, one of those uh, situations it's close they just barely get there and and Charlotte uh has you know they've they played some real ugly games recently so it's its you know if FAU wins by uh five it, it might be a you know, 10 to five or something um but uh we we do see a little bit of a, a potential there i mentioned the oregon minus seven on the road at Utah. i don't feel super confident in that um i think yesterday after uh, we released ours that even went down to six and a half i'm not 100 percent sure where it's sitting as we speak but um wouldn't wouldn't shock me if if that one continues to to drop a little bit Uh, Utah is just so tough at home. Uh, One that I think I kind of like is Nebraska minus two and a half at home against Purdue. All three of our projection models have Nebraska by at least four and a half. Um, When I don't have any confidence in, especially after the last two weeks, last week, especially, uh, USC we have as a, a favorite in all three models to cover the ten and a half on the road against Cal. Uh, it's very difficult to have any confidence in USC right now. Um, I have a lot more confidence in South Alabama and our numbers love South Alabama against Louisiana this week to cover the 10 and a half in all three projection models. We've got at least 13 and a half. We're also high on Troy to get it done on the road at Texas state uh, to cover the five and a half. We've got at least six in every everyone, and then kind of similar to Oregon and, and USC, the same situation different week and it didn't work out for us last week, but we've got North Carolina to bounce back in a big way and win by at least 12-and-a-half on the road uh, against Georgia Tech. That line officially was eleven and a half and a half on Tuesday when we released it. So um, the wrong team favored. We mentioned Kentucky. Uh, we mentioned Georgia State. Three others, uh, Eastern Michigan against Western Michigan this week. Mississippi State. This one surprised me because they're like a six and a half point underdog. Uh, Mississippi State at Auburn. We have Mississippi State favored in that one. Uh, Auburn's Baylor, bad.
0: I'm not that surprised. You're not
1: playing well right now, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Mississippi State won seven to three last week. Right, uh, right. And then one that that uh, is kind of a weird game. Weird to get a, a little bit of a handle on. But we've got Baylor as a favorite at home against Iowa State. They were a two and a half point underdog when that one was released. So some I like, some I don't. Uh, but those are the those are the numbers I've been paying the closest attention to in in past weeks,
0: Xavier. When you look at uh, the rest of the schedule, is there anything that stands out to you that you like one way or the other?
2: Actually, I disagree with Nick. I like USC to cover. Um, I think that's a game. Yeah, I think this that's... Game to get right back on track. Um, I know what all
1: those words mean, but I'm not. I'm thrown off in the order in which you put them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think they do cover. Seriously, I think that they get back to what I think Caleb Williams has, that, that reminder game, which is like, hey, I know I've had a couple bad games back-to-back, but uh, I'm still the number one overall pick coming into this draft. Let's not get on the Drake May train just yet. I'm going to go ahead and throw four touchdowns, uh, maybe three in the first half, and just you know let everybody know I'm still here. I thought Caleb Williams was going to sit out the rest of the year. I thought that was – No. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, let me see. Another one that I really like. Oh. He also
0: wanted uh, ownership, uh, part ownership yes. in whatever yes. team drafted him, yes. right? Yes. Sure. Hold your breath on that. Jay. Uh, we, any- we spent all of our time
1: talking about the games. We haven't talked about the biggest stories in college the Michigan,
0: football. Michigan. Yeah. I'm yeah, uh, well, look, we care. can talk about this. Uh, I mean, Xavier and I are first in line with pitchforks. Yeah, 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 yeah. We knew Jim Harbaugh was a fraud. Yeah, there, there was we knew no it way. the whole I, time. He's been cheating. I completely derailed so dis- this. My fault. There, there my, was, was, my fault. there was no way he was playing. Cut you off, him. Xavier.
2: <laughs> no, you percent okay to talk about how he, he's been cheating, and that's the only way he's been able to do what he's doing. I'm cool with it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm so okay with it. But – no, I think I think Indiana covers against Penn State. Um 31 and a half for a team that offensively doesn't give me thirty-one and a half vibes. I'm good. I don't want
0: I don't want any part of angry Penn State. No thanks. I, I mean, think
2: I, I think that Indiana job's gonna open
0: pretty
1: soon. Yeah. yeah. I, think, like, I, think yeah. It, I think it's probably time. I think it's time. Yeah. It feels, I like Tom Allen. Know, it it seems does, like a nice guy, guys like him, but they just
2: it does feel very David Shaw esque right now. Okay. Very yeah. like end of the line. You've you've maybe over you over you've been able to over succeed at at Indiana, but it's time to change. I got one crazy one that I don't think is all too crazy, but give me Virginia to cover against Miami. Uh, maybe I'm just high off of the Virginia win against uh, North Carolina last week, but I feel like 18 and a half is just a little too rich for my blood. Um, if I was betting on Miami here, so give me Virginia in that one. Um, Oh, give me Pitt to cover Notre Dame, 20 and a half. Uh, big mm, time. No way. I disagree That's on that one. So both, both of those that you picked are
1: interesting oh. because they are almost, almost got the, <laughs> the all three favorite. Gotcha. And so yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like,
0: had their I, lucky would, I would like
1: Notre Dame and Miami on both of those. Yeah, but
2: I'm not asking them to win. I'm just asking them to cover. No, it. I know,
1: I know. And, and so it's it's just one of those. I've picked it up over the the last couple of years. It I, I'm I'm you know how uh, I spend so much time <laughs> with these numbers. <laughs> that I've started to like understand more and more. Um, it's like they're telling me <laughs> that this is a <laughs> This is a, a situation where Notre Dame and Miami should blow out. But obviously, I mean Virginia won as a big underdog last week and, and Pitt won a game that didn't or yeah, against Louisville won a game we didn't expect. And then oh, we didn't even talk about the the end of the pittwick Forest game was I was I I was sick to my stomach the way that ended. <laughs> Was I, was one, busy. I, I was too no, busy. Not even when, when right. I even better.
0: Right, I was not over the end of the I, uh, Iowa game <laughs> right. yet. So, I mean, some of those <laughs> games this week were just absurd. Anything okay. else you see, Xavier? That 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 you like, or uh, one way or the other? Give me Air Force to really.
2: Uh, give me Air Force to cover. That's the last one. Oh, wow.
0: Air Force to cover.
2: Oh, oh, All yeah, right. Me snow. In Fort Collins. Oh
0: my lord! <laughs> a little early for that, isn't it? I mean, I'm a, a Southern of- boy, so uh, <laughs> yeah, n- none of that. So, uh,
1: it's not,
0: so. <clears throat> not going to get it in the World Series in Texas and Arizona. I know that. So, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us on the show this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Campus to Canton or Campus to Canton at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier and at Bogman Sports for myself. Good luck this week, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.